0: Uh... Mm-hmm.
1: Here's Eric and Jeremy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh this is a what is what are we calling this these days? Uh <laughs> talking about the shining? I don't know. My name's Eric Keppel.
0: Oh, my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Hello. Hello. Um welcome. Welcome Jeremy. to the hotel overview.
1: yeah <laughs> So this is the, uh, in case you're new to the podcast, uh, we started as a Chucky podcast. We covered all the Chucky movies. (laughs) Then we covered all the Ari Aster stuff. Uh, and then we just wrapped up covering, uh, all of the Final Destination movies, uh, which I can't say I missed too much at this point, but, uh, now we are, uh, we have some Patreon requests. Uh, which you can sign up for a tier at patreon.com slash Jeremy to uh, force us to do an episode about anything you want. Uh, so this one, uh, The Shining, was requested by Dad Wears Glasses. And uh, next week, we're doing Halloween in the spirit of Halloween. Um, but Jeremy, what's going on over there in Jeremy land?
0: Boy, I'll tell you. It has been a festive month so far we already got the halloween decorations out we're excited this is this is i think the biggest and most important three months in a row in our country don't you think like every year this is where all the money gets made this is where everybody gets off of work and has to deal with their families and lives uh halloween is probably the most fun and then you get like the second most fun and then the third i think it like kind of like walks downhill if that makes sense it like like christmas is like i i really like christmas i think i like christmas more than most of my friends but it is a constant reminder of capitalism and consumerism and yeah um and you and you're obligated to like buy people shit but halloween that's just good old-fashioned fun am i wrong
1: you're not wrong jeremy and i i gotta say halloween is my favorite holiday and uh yeah, that's one of the reasons is it like it's the first of like this just marathon of days off. My, my favorite part about one of my favorite things about Halloween is I'm a, uh, i I'm just like riddled with uh, anxiety and horror. And uh, my by the time it's Christmas time, I'm already the holidays are like already over for me. I'm already like thinking like this is like the end of the holiday season. Oh yeah, uh, by by, so when? I don't even enjoy, <laughs> by what? By what? By when? Christmas? <laughs> by Christmas? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah it, that's another problem with it too. Is it? It's such a def- definite end to all the fun. Although yeah. New Year's is a lot of fun and should be. I feel like New Year's should be more of a big deal. It's the only holiday that's not like based on. It's just like a new year. You know what I mean?
1: Like, right.
0: But but we don't really like. I never look forward to New Year's Eve. It it's actually no. kind of more of a hassle than it ends up. <laughs> It never ends up being worth the time you put into it. I don't know.
1: But, uh, Jeremy, this is exciting for me. Now, uh, this is the first time I'm recording from my brand new studio. Oh, cool. Oh, cool.
0: cool. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Been Uh, waiting for a week to do that joke. Oh, that's Um, a good joke.
0: I love it. Yeah. I'm just picturing you, you know, your shirt's off. And uh, the camera's right behind you and you're like contorting your back really crazily and
1: uh, yeah.
0: and like you're like you're messing with your shoe. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm picturing. You, is that like, what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm hunched over it, like Joaquin Phoenix in the Joker. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it, a, a better joke for this episode would have been like i'm just picturing you at a typewriter typing the same thing over and over again yeah <laughs> but uh but that's not the movie i literally just watched which of course we will yeah. be covering on a patreon exclusive episode we're
1: gonna do a joker episode hell yeah uh, well a clown episode it's gonna where, be clown in which we'll probably due, thanks to brian and
0: uh, yeah thanks to brian and um and dad wears glasses.
1: Yeah. The thing about our Patreon episodes is if you hassle us enough, mm-hmm. we will do what you say. Yes. <laughs> that <laughs> is that of is true. what it is.
0: And here's the thing about not at our Patreon. If you hassle us enough, <laughs> we'll do what you say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, Jeremy, we have so much to talk about with this movie. Um, now, first of all, I want to say, uh, I want to, like, get your kind of like history with kubrick and the shining but i want to say that my uh i left this i mentioned this before i left this off of my top five favorite horror movies list uh and it's one of my greatest shames uh (laughs) i don't know why i did that um because this is my favorite horror movie and it's like possibly my favorite movie yeah it's possible i
0: think it also is objectively one of the best movies probably ever made despite how we Hands feel down. about it I think it I think it kind of lives somewhere in the top 10 top 50 at least yeah yeah
1: um, so Jeremy what's your when was the first time you saw the shining uh, how do you feel about Kubrick
0: so the first time I saw the shining I saw it in bits and pieces when I was a kid um, interestingly enough the when The Shining really first entered my brain, is like, oh yeah, that's that movie where those things happen, when I wasn't just seeing parts of it on TV as like a small child, um, was in the movie Twister. Did you ever see the movie Twister? Yeah. There's a famous yep. scene where the tornado is like destroying a drive-in movie and it's doing uh-huh. it at the same time Jack Torrance is like hacking the door apart with the axe oh but yeah so that's when i and i remember asking my parents like what is that movie they're like that's the shining you can never watch it (laughs) 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 and uh so yeah then later in life i'd become a film major in college and that's when kubrick basically became my god and that lasted i think for i don't know that lasted for like maybe a good decade where like I just couldn't get enough Stanley Kubrick. I watched all of his films relentlessly. I used to watch that documentary A Life in Pictures about Stanley Kubrick. I used to watch that over and over again, like relentlessly. I loved hearing people talk about Kubrick. I remember like really getting into his personal life, like um like what did how was he with his kids? Like how was he with his wife? Like where did he live? You know, stuff like that. I remember um reading the book Eyes Wide Open. Which is uh, a, a book about one of the co-writers of Eyes Wide Shut and his experiences with Stanley Kubrick. One of the only film books I've ever like mm. picked up and finished. I've heard about that? It's a really great book, and all of this stuff presented such great insight into this, like what I considered to be like a madman in cinema. Like he was just so wild, and the idea that you could get these performances and get these shots and um, be so prolific. Really, I don't know. It did something to me as a youth, right? So yeah. since I've been older though, I've kind of reflected back on Kubrick and some of the stuff I really I ide- like idealized about him and I am kind of less in love with Kubrick now than I was when I was younger. I guess part of it is um you know, he was notoriously kind of shady. Like he was notoriously like mean to people if he thought that could get a better performance, right? He also cut people out of deals and like and like did like use weird legal loopholes around paying people what they what they should have been paid. Um, there's a famous story where he like really screws up Malcolm McDowell by like by like agreeing to meet with him to work on the movie, and then they would take breaks to play ping pong and chess and stuff, and they would be like hours. They were like mm-hmm. they were like best friends. They'd spend like days together working on this role. And at the very end of it, Malcolm McDowell got paid like half of what he was supposed to. And then Stanley Kubrick brought out a ledger that was all the times they played ping pong or chess and basically just like cut out all of like the money that (laughs) while they were doing that. And like kind of for no reason, like I don't even know what the point of that was. He also held him underwater famously very too, like way too long in that scene in Clockwork Orange and like almost killed him. And like, yeah, there's stuff like that where when I look back on Kubrick, I'm like, I don't think he was that. I don't know if he was that great of a guy. And I don't know if that type of guy is a guy like I want to be, you know, when I grow up, like I I imagine myself as a filmmaker one day, as I'm sure you do, too. And a lot of people do where I'm more collaborative and I'm less of like an auteur. And I want to work, you know, I want to work with people and I want to hear like other people's voices and like. And like make yeah. it more of a collaborative effort, as opposed to you really got the sense that these were Kubrick's movies. They were they belonged to no one else, you know. Right. Um,
1: uh, um, but that's Jeremy, my thing. is this a good time to bring up? Um, I'm gonna have to uh, take a little bit out of your half of the Patreon money. Are uh, you kidding? You've been playing a uh, minesweeper no! as we record. <laughs>
0: And, what uh, if I was? That would be insane. If I yeah, just had like yeah. lo- tons of Minesweeper games in now. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm play. I've been playing Snood this whole time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a Doodle Jump man myself. I'm just looking straight yeah. at my phone, Doodle jumping. <laughs> no, um, yeah. So wait, Eric, I gotta hear though. What What is your experience with Kubrick? And how do you feel about the guy and his films?
1: So I saw The Shining um, on TV. I saw parts of it. I remember. Um, I was at my grandma's house and I remember it was like a Thanksgiving or something. Um, And I, you know, you watch the shining on cable television uh, in the nineties and it's like three hours long. And I remember just kind of like seeing different parts of it. I remember seeing the end when Jack's chasing Danny uh, through the maze. Uh, And I remember uh, some other moments uh, pretty well. Uh, and then when I was old enough to like start driving to blockbuster and renting videos and stuff, I, uh, I got, I became really obsessed with the shining and I watched it a bunch of times in high school and I have since watched it, um, probably once every two years on average is like my shining watching, uh, and it, that was definitely the Room 237 documentary. I, I really, really, uh, I've only seen it once, but that really kind of like reinvigorated my love for this movie. Uh, I'm a huge fan of conspiracy theories, yeah. and I'd love to talk about all I, that.
0: I totally forgot about that movie, but I saw it yeah. around the time, not at the time it came out, like I didn't see it in theaters, but I definitely caught it like on Hulu when it, when it released and had a blast watching that thing. Yeah. I that's a strong recommend from me uh too like yeah. uh, watching that documentary especially in conjunction with The Shining, that would make a really great double feature somewhere.
1: We'll go through I think before we go through the plot we should go through just brush over what some of the theories are, but um but yeah, as far as Kubrick goes, I am someone who has like seen his work over the course of my life, but I just keep rewatching the same movies. Never seen Dr. Strangelove, never seen Barry Lyndon. <laughs> oh wow. I've seen pr- probably the four biggest ones, right? Like Clockwork Orange, 2001, this, and uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Um, right. And, and I mean,
0: it depends on what you mean by big though, right? Because like Spartacus yeah. was one of the biggest uh, movies ever yeah. made, right? But like, we don't usually think of that in his, uh, in his like filmography also um, the film Paths of Glory was like a huge box office success so
1: oh okay it's
0: like it's like really weird yeah but like I know what you're talking about you're talking about like The Full Metal Jacket The Shining Eyes Wide yeah. Shut and um, I guess I've seen Full Metal
1: Jacket also and I, I didn't even see 2001 until like 2 years ago I saw it uh, on 70 millimeter at the dome at the Arca- Hollywood Arclight, which was yeah, absolutely uh, one of the best movie experiences I've ever had. But uh, no, I'm, I'm like, have been increased. I kind of go through like little tiny obsessions. And right now I'm in like a very big obsession where I wish I had more time uh, where I could just sit down, watch everything, uh, watch all the documentaries. Um, but I haven't, and th- I think part of the reason that I am fascinated with him is a little bit different than you, is I kind of am, like, someone who sort of wants to be, like, if I were a filmmaker, like, more of a Kubrick, like, don't, uh, not necessarily wanting people around, like, questioning my my vision and stuff. Right. And just, I want to make this thing exactly how I have it in my brain. right mm um and see see what happens right so i kind of like uh i i, I like cu- identify with kubrick in that way yeah um, but
0: i mean that's you know and that's fine and that is a lot of that is a lot of artists right that and that's there's nothing yeah. wrong with that i i guess i guess it is just like the associated manipulation that came along with that for kubrick specifically made me sort of cringe the older i got like i didn't like sure. like there's a fame. i mean famously Shelley duvall was tortured on the set of this movie, and yeah. I and I just don't. I like even though Shelley Duvall kind of speaks fondly about that time, yeah. I it's not convincing to me. You know, all I all I see is like a megalomaniac screaming at a woman, and I'm kind of like, I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's uh, if that was if that's great filmmaking. But Eric, you know what? I don't think if you were a filmmaker, you'd be doing that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I don't see myself like screaming at people uh ever. But um I I mean, yeah, I I heard uh well, the shelly devall thing like he was very brutal to her uh and kind of wasn't to like anyone else on that
0: Yeah. No, I know I know, um, yeah. He couldn't be to uh, the kid and and right. ja- and apparently the, I think the story is Jack Nicholson performed was just doing everything kubrick wanted exactly and i think there was there was some thinking that he was like also scaring shelly Duvall a little bit like i think he wanted to get these performances of her just kind of almost like having a like a a mental breakdown and i think and he he got it because like she is i mean she performs the hell out of that role and i think people don't often she does like talk about her enough in the wake of this movie it's always about jack nicholson and like the weirdness and like the the twins but it's not like you don't hear a lot of people talking about like man shelly duvall like rules in this movie
1: yeah she's great um and i think i I heard that like later on like she was very like upset about it um about the production experience and then like later in her life was kind of like well i'm kind of glad that like stanley was like that difficult to work with (laughs) it's an amazing performance it's like so Mm -hmm. so good Uh, uh, so i guess just a little bit i mean if you're listening to this you probably know like a little bit about the shining i would hope um but it came out in 1980 a horror film uh co-written with uh novelist diane johnson um Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers, Danny Lloyd. Yeah, I call it the Uh,
0: the prequel to Doctor Sleep.
1: Yeah, which, by the way, I saw. (laughs) I was kind of a little bit looking forward to that. Yeah, and I saw the preview was like not that good, and I was seeing that they like recreate some of these Stanley Kubrick Shining scenes, and I'm like, the man is dead. You shouldn't. I don't think you should do that
0: yeah oh hey i mean tell that to ready player one am i right
1: oh right yeah yeah there's like a ton yeah. of
0: shining stuff in there I, I i don't know you know i don't really know how i feel about that i mean i think i i think yeah i, I have no idea honestly <laughs> i i've literally never even thought about it i guess i do have a problem with like when people are dead when they bring their holograms back like when they did that with tupac yeah. <laughs> at uh, coachella do you remember that
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm always um, like, I
0: like i don't know about this. <laughs> would he want to be I up actually, there playing for all these white people? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't mind, like, if, if... I mean, I'm going to see it, but if the Doctor Strange was, like, more of a, like, indie... It, it looks too, like, high budget. It looks just kind of like a your modern horror movie oh which, dr sleep yeah
0: yeah no i completely agree um, i thought the trailer yeah. turned me way the f- off of that movie yeah. um and i think yeah. i would have otherwise if you just told me the premise i would have been a little intrigued especially knowing ewan mcgregor was on board because i respect him as an actor quite a bit
1: yeah um so the shining uh we, we don't have to like, so a lot of it was filmed, uh, like the exterior was, of uh, uh, that hotel is in uh, Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the, I, I was going through, um, before we were recording, I was going through like a little bit of the, the, the IMDb trivia. And it literally, like we, when we were going through this, uh, the trivia pages on the final destinations, we would find maybe one or two interesting things to say. Uh, this is like 22, se- t- uh, 227 items Gosh. and every single one I've read was like fascinating. So I will yeah. not go through all of these, but, uh, you going
0: to go through some of them.
1: I'll go through a couple of them. So cool. the idea for Danny Lloyd to move his finger uh, when he was talking as Tony was his own. Uh, he did it in his first audition uh, for the scene in which Jack breaks down the bathroom door, the props department built a door that could be easily broken, but Nicholson had worked as a volunteer fire marshal and tore it apart far too easily. So they had to build a stronger door. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that scene also took like days or something like three days. Um, Jack Nicholson, uh, only ate cheese sandwiches for two weeks to get in an agitated mood yeah. and I guess he hates cheese sandwiches. <laughs> uh I I have not seen that the documentary by the way. I'm it's on my list. Uh did, have you watched the Shining documentary? What which Jeremy? one? Uh the uh, Oh the one by his daughter Room 237 but the yeah yeah yeah. Yeah uh,
0: I have. Yes, I've seen it. Um it is really good. It's really weird. Like I, there's there's something that's always gonna kind of creep me out about because there's so little um, video of Kubrick, like period, that it's always gonna weird me out to like watch him like walking around talking and like doing stuff. Like there's a, I remember there's a scene in the documentary that's just Stanley Kubrick typing. He's just like writing part of the part of the like the new script, like in the hotel, like kind of I think it's like in the kitchen area, and he's just sitting there writing. Yeah. He's not doing anything special, and. I'm like I'm like so taken by that image of just like this man like what was he thinking in that moment, you know what I mean? Like yeah. So crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he was like he was going nuts during this because he was, he was like constantly rewriting the script and yeah. uh I read an anecdote that like Nicholson at some point was like just like stopped bothering learning his lines because he knew that Kubrick would be giving them like new pages that day. Right. Um, one of the, one of
0: the trivia points I wanted to bring up was, um, that Stephen King famously hates this movie or hated it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so, and that is, and that that is a very common anecdote that I think a lot of people share about this movie. It's like, you know, Oh, Stephen King hated it. Um, I think he's gone back since and been like, you know what? It's actually fine. It's not what I wrote, but it's, it's a good movie. Uh, what do you, how do you feel about Stephen King in that, in that like situation? Like, <laughs> speaking of, like you were, you just kind of admitted, like you're somebody who like has a vision and wants to see that through. Like, how would you feel if you were Stephen King, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it would be, it would be difficult. I guess it would be a little bit annoying. I don't know. It kind of like depends on like what kind of like deal he had and what uh, how he I guess he wasn't involved at all um but I don't know if it was just a matter of like uh Kubrick wants to buy the rights to this film from you to make a movie and then he doesn't know anything about it until he sees it which is what kind of what it sounds like right and in that scenario I could see like yeah I guess maybe um even if the, the film is like a stunning work of art which he did say he likes the like the the cinematography and a lot of aspects of it but he says the uh I can't find the exact quote but he but he basically calls the mo- says that the 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 plot is like lacking or something um I have not read the book but I was listening to a podcast that compares the book to the movie and yeah there's a lot of differences there's there's a ton of differences uh and I think what that's one of the kind of um jumping off points for one of the, for a lot of these conspiracies is you know Stanley Kubrick at this point in his career like it's kind of weird that he did just want to do this like horror movie uh, Stephen King story uh, and then he changed so much about it and added certain things where it almost you uh, certain things that da- even down to like the changing of room 217 to 237 and adding the the maze and changing the, the, the twins in the novel, I guess, where it's just one one girl. Um, there's all these different things where uh, I kind of want to go back and read the book because y- you can kind of learn a lot and if you're really into one of these conspiracies you can really Mm -hmm. read a lot into what kubrick left out right it's really fascinating
0: yeah no I, i agree yeah i think it's i think it's always so funny that like kubrick one of his things is he would adapt books into films that was i think all but 2001 space odyssey that was the case 2001 became a book after but the rest of his films have all come from books, and they've all deviated from the book so drastically that oftentimes Kubrick would act, literally employ the, the novelist, the writer of the book, to help write the screenplay, quote-unquote, but really what he was doing, people theorize, is that he was making them like sort of like swaying their opinion, making them make the their own changes to the script, changes he wanted so that there wasn't any backlash afterwards. And ah, he wasn't able to do that with Stephen King. But famously, he yeah. does that with uh, uh, um, the author of Lolita. He, like, employs okay. the author of Lolita and then, like, starts dropping little hints that, like, maybe it would be better if this. Wouldn't it be better if this happened? <laughs> and then the author's like, yeah, I guess. And then, like, just writes a script that looks nothing like their novel. Um, so, I, I find that really interesting that, I mean, obviously, he didn't do that with Stephen King and there was, like, that famous backlash. But I bet the book is probably really good. I mean, it's good enough for Kubrick to have wanted to make the movie. But I, I, you can just tell he saw something in that book. That wasn't right. the book, you know?
1: Right. Um, so, let's go over some of the conspiracies, because I'm really fascinated with some of these. You know, there's the conspiracy that Stanley Kubrick uh, helped out with the uh, theoretical faking of the moon landing, which right. was happened during kind of the height of the, the space race with the uh, Soviets or something, and... Um, there is I've kind of been going deep on the, on the moon, uh, faking the moon landing conspiracy stuff. There are people that think that we still have never been to the moon. I think that we have. Um, but I think that there's very uh, like strong, uh, reasoning behind, um, faking it, faking it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, sure.
0: Yeah. Why not? Right. It's compelling. I mean, it's, uh, uh, nine tenths of this is a motive right like for me yeah. conspiracies are like really a lot stronger when they're connected to a motive when it suddenly starts to make sense yes. like why someone would go through all the trouble and the space sure. race makes a lot makes a hell of a lot more sense especially when you look at it within the historical context i don't know if we went to the moon or not i don't know if we went then i don't know you know like, you know what i mean like obviously like we can't Super no, unless the government straight up comes out and says, but I do, I do, I would not be surprised if it was faked at all.
1: Um, some of the, uh, so some of the like evidence that this movie is about the moon landing. And I don't know that like the people think that the whole movie is technically about it, but that there's like clues that Kubrick hid, uh, (laughs) that, uh, are evidence to his involvement in this theoretical faking of the moon landing and uh, some of them are like flimsier than others like people think that the all in all work and no play they think that that specific font the two L's in all look like A11 mm-hmm. um, so Apollo 11 and no work uh, make Stanley a dull boy or whatever yeah. uh, c- it, but also um Jack Torrance and Danny are supposedly like two different versions of Kubrick. Uh-huh. Um, the, what is another one? So to room 237, uh, apparently 237 is like, uh, people say we're like 237,000 miles away from the moon or something like that. Uh, please don't tweet at me if I got that wrong. But Well, I, I also uh, thought
0: from the documentary, didn't they say that room 237 was like literally the sound stage that Kubrick would have to go to?
1: So, I heard the like defense of this was the actual hotel that they shot the exteriors at. they actually have a room two seventeen like it is in the book, and they told Stanley Kubrick they didn't want him to do to have it be room two seventeen because they were worried people wouldn't want to stay there. So he changed it to two thirty seven which is a room that doesn't exist at that hotel. Oh yeah, interesting. Um, uh, yeah, and then I mean, the big, <laughs> the big one is I i would say the one to me that's like this is definitely uh, in my mind a nod to the moon landing, and it's either you know Kubrick. Kubrick knew what he was doing. Uh, that's another thing about Kubrick is it's kind of like understood that almost everything in a Kubrick film is there. Uh, he Put it there. Yeah, for it's some one of the brain.
0: Yeah, it's one of the coolest aspects of his films. Is nothing is there by mistake. It's all very deliberate. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and the scene where Danny is playing with trucks on yeah. the uh, <laughs> carpet. That was my favorite one. He's Wearing one. Yeah. the Apollo Eleven uh, sweater, mm-hmm. and the twins roll the tennis ball, and it looks the the carpet looks like the launch pad, and uh, he stands up. And we basically see the Apollo 11 on his sweater launch into space. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, the yeah. uh, treatment of Native Americans is a big one touched on in the Room 237 doc. How do you feel about this one, Jeremy? That, like, about how this movie is about, like, the geno- Native American genocide?
0: Yeah. Um, so I. I would be interested to. This is one of the reasons why I'd be interested to read the book too, is because that's also a common theme in Stephen King uh, literature. So I I wouldn't be surprised or shocked, even kind of a little bit, if that was in there on purpose, because Stephen King, like the whole It film, is about like has like is like Native American uh, has like a lot of Native American themes in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that, that wouldn't be shocking to me at all. Like, a lot of, a lot of, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, could you remind me a little bit more, like, what exactly is being said with that conspiracy? Like, because I know that there's, like, a lot of, like, like, the food in the kitchen has, like, that Native American guy on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's a lot of, like, Native American art on the walls. Uh, yeah. Famously, when, Nicholson is throwing uh, the tennis ball around when he has uh, like writer's block or whatever. He's throwing it at uh, uh, some Native American art, mm. um, and he's kind of like this white man just chucking a ball at this Native American art. Also, that piece of art, uh, the uh, Apollo Eleven nerds say that looks li- the thing he's throwing it at looks like a spaceship, mm-hmm. but. Um, <laughs> The, uh, there's a whole thing in the beginning about how, um, the owner of the hotel says that it was built on this, like, maybe it was a burial ground, but like, uh, like a battle site, like a Native American battle site or something. Yeah. Um, I love it. and there is just a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of Native American decor. And I will say that like being in. To me, that doesn't like, feel
0: like much of a conspiracy though. It just feels like a loose theme that is sort of right. smeared on the film. Like the, the Apollo 11 stuff to me is very much like you feel like Kubrick might be trapped in a secret and trying to like subtly hint at something, but the rest of it kind of just feels like, <laughs> like, Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's a theme. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's about the Greek myth of Theseus and the Minotaur. Uh, I don't really know about that one. Oh uh, no, it's the
0: maze, right? It's the maze. Yeah. The Minotaur and okay. the maze. Yeah.
1: I see. Uh, and there's the hedge. People maze. say, "Yeah, uh, it's about the Holocaust." Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't read it too much into this one either. Although I know Kubrick was like very, uh, he was like trying to make a Holocaust movie for a long time. I think, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. He really wanted to make one, and I think he even his he was like quoted in s- talking about spielberg's holocaust film uh the schindler's list as being like no i'm thinking of a terry gilliam quote uh never mind yeah no i th- I think he wanted to uh really bad he and he also really wanted to famously make a napoleon film where like the two and ai so like those three were like kind of three unfinished pro- uh, projects that kubrick was working on sort of towards his death so
1: um, so something that I watched, uh, like a, a big, long chunk of you if you watch the movie and you can find it on the internet, if you watch the entire movie overlaid with the entire movie again, but in reverse, um, there's a Whoa. lot of like weird things that line up. That's uh, really
0: tight. Did they mention that in the film, Room 237?
1: They do, t- yeah, that's why I watched it. Oh, they that's cool.
0: That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really cool. So, what, how would you have to watch it? Like, with just like on the computer, two screens side by side?
1: No, no, no. It's like you're watching uh, one version. Uh, basically over the other but it's like transparent oh
0: yeah yeah yeah. weird uh that's that's super cool though okay so uh eric i'm i have breaking news i'm making i'm making an executive podcasting decision right now oh what's that this this shining episode is gonna be a two-parter yeah yeah, I think the whole first episode, we're gonna keep talking about the themes and the conspiracies around the film, and then I think we ta- we do the actual film in episode two.
1: I really, I think that's awesome because yeah. I have kind of been like rushing through this, and that there's so much I want to talk about. Yeah, because
0: I there's some more stuff I want to talk about too, and that's kind of what I wanted to bring up um, real quick is so some of these are like conspiratorial themes, but some of them are like, you mentioned the Native American one. That's like a theme that, again, it seems like a gel sort of smeared on the film. Like you can kind of read into that if you want. Have you heard of the pedophile theme in the film? Have you been privy to any of that?
1: Yeah. the, The Jack, the theory that Jack molested Danny. Yes. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: Like there's a ton of clues in the film that allude to like the fact that you know, Jack Nicholson as the father probably molested Danny. And also of course that ties into the furry thing that happens much later on in the film, which is uh, a a scene where Shelley Duvall witnesses what appears to be a man in a bear costume. Is that right? bear costume. Yeah. A bear costume, which I think a lot of people say, Oh, okay. That's her waking up to the idea that this has been happening all along like in that moment that like that's a metaphor for like coming to terms with the fact that your husband is molesting your son basically
1: um so the bear stuff is is kind of like a lot of like what the 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 evidence uh so in the beginning of the film we see danny uh laying down and kind of like uh uh I guess just laying on uh this bear pillow. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? It's, like a, like, this, it's too, like a huge right? bear too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um and there is a uh which by the way that scene, one of the creepiest scenes in this movie for me is when Danny like goes into the their little uh, hotel room mm-hmm. <laughs> um and Jack is just sitting there on the bed yeah and he has Danny like sit on his on his lap um, right it's just weird and creepy but there's also um there's something and this was something that I was looking at the last time that I viewed this movie uh, which I love that there's different, so many different things you can pay attention to and just rewatch this forever, infinitely. Mm-hmm. But the bear rug, uh, do you know about the bear rug in the main room?
0: I This sounds familiar, but again, I'm not, so, yeah. So
1: the bear rug in front of the like kind of fireplace thing in this main room that Jack writes in, mm-hmm. uh, it's only there when Jack is in the room. Oh. And when you watch it, like I, I it's it's true. Like I I li- I paid so close attention to it during Weird. my last rewatch. I I don't understand how someone can like pay this close of close of attention to like making a movie like this, even right. if that is something that's like. There are things like, uh, like Ari Aster did some of this kind of stuff with uh, Midsommar where like... Yeah, he
0: put a bear he, in there. He,
1: he puts, <laughs> yeah, he did, but he puts... Uh, like I even just heard, uh, saw this still from apparently like in some of the scenes, uh, the, the main character, uh, Florence's character, whose name I forget, uh, sees visions. Uh, you can see sort of like very light transparent vision of her parents like being dead in the trees and stuff oh, that, and this oh, is right. something that was like just discovered a couple weeks ago yeah there's like posted. a
0: silhouette of her sister's face with like the thing strapped to her mouth like in the yeah. uh, in the trees yeah
1: yes yeah um but the just like the the level of detail and the the unconscious things that like Stanley Kubrick like somehow knows that like I'm sure that like a lot of people noticed the bear rug thing without noticing the bear rug thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just something where like your brain is focused on something else so it doesn't connect it and focus on it but it notices something is different or like weird. Yeah. I think, and
0: I think that that was the whole idea behind his, that like level of craftsmanship or that type of craftsmanship is that you would, it would incept you almost like to use a kind of a stupid term. Like you would like realize it without realizing it. And he uses this to great effect in, I think all of his films pretty much to me, I think starting with 2001, like I don't know how maniacal I say maniacal. What I mean is like, like careful and, and like detailed he was in films prior to that, but you know, starting with two thousand one is like almost to me it feels like the shift in Kubrick's career where every movie starts getting real f- weird. Like the movie before two thousand one is Doctor Strangelove, and yeah, not to be like not to put that movie down, it's like a great, amazing Harvard level comedy, but it is just a comedy. Like it is not like. It, is, it does not have this uh, this feeling of, like, you leaving it going, like, I don't know, like, um, that was that was <laughs> up in what's real and what's not. You know what I mean? Like, all of his other films have this sort of power where they're, like, you know, you, you're watching a scene. Like, the cups in Clockwork Orange are, are a great example of, like, there's a dinner scene in Cl- Clockwork Orange where Kubrick just, like, every cut to another person at the dinner room scene, he changes all the glasses and all the plates and like refills the wines at different levels between every mm-hmm. shot. And it really works to great effect. And the shining he does. I mean, people have seemed to extrapolated the most from this film. Yes. I, I, may, I mean, um, I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about eyes wide shut in the same way, but it would stand a reason that eyes wide shut would also have a considerable amount of three, <laughs> right? Cause it, the whole movie is about, a cult the whole movie is about the Illuminati, basically, so yeah so I mean we c-
1: I could go on and on about about that one too, because I just rewatched that and and that that is like very much in the zeitgeist right now because of the Epstein stuff, and yes um hmm, I forgot what I was going to say, but uh the this is uh back to the moon landing thing for a second cuz I just like remembered reading about this. So the woman in uh the woman in the scene where Nicholson goes into room 237 and sees that like naked woman and then she he hugs her and she transforms into an old woman. Mm-hmm. Um that old woman is uh a woman named Billy Gibson. She is not an actress. Uh she has never been in anything before this and she has not been any in anything since. Um, now Kubrick, uh, could have maybe just, you know, picked this woman. Uh, I mean, who knows? He could, there's plenty of people who've done like one role, uh, and never did anything else again. And maybe Kubrick just liked the way she looked. However, if you buy into the, uh, the moon landing stuff, uh, Something fun to think about is the only other uh, Bill Gibson on IMDb, uh, Billy Gibson, is there. there's a Bill Gibson lifted, listed on IMDb uh, with only one credit as well. Uh, and that credit is he is the director of the official documentary of the moon landings, 1969's <laughs> Footprints on the Moon Apollo 11. Whoa. There is a lot of stuff where you're just like, that's Dots crazy. are connected.
0: Yeah, um, and
1: look, there's coincidences, uh, but I don't know.
0: Um, I think it's cool, and I think that there's no way this; these are all coincidences, right? There's like too many. That's where I, that's where I land on it. Is mm-hmm. uh, these are too many to all be coincidence, but I do think it is entirely possible that someone like Stanley Kubrick like could be putting stuff in there yeah. like to inspire some sort of idea or conversation or, you know, like here's a thought, like maybe he was suspicious of the moon landing, like knowing how much he knew about film. And so maybe right. this was his way of sort of throwing out into the ether maybe this isn't right. You know what I mean? Without actually like knowing himself, whether he was right or wrong. Some of the stuff too, about like the bear and the molestation was like, you know, I could also see him just being like, you know, maybe Jack's theme is bears. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, right. And like literally not giving it a ton more thought than that. Like maybe Jack's like mean animal spirit is a bear. And so we'll see bears whenever bad shit's happening. You know, like, right. like it could be as little as that. It could be as simple as that. Or like, I think about the Playgirl magazine that Jack's reading, like in the lobby, and I and I could totally see like them just having a laugh on set, being like, "Wouldn't it be funny?" Like, no one will notice what you're reading, but wouldn't it be funny if you were just like reading this, like, at an interview? And like, yeah, and like that's you know, because that is also how filmmaking works. You know, like you, you sometimes you make little decisions and you throw little things into your films just like there's not there's maybe not even a reason connected to it you're just like yeah that's funny let's just put it in there you know like because filmmaking like and even though that documentary does show quite a bit of like acidic ideas being thrown around and uh, acidic behavior it it's still like everyone's still like laughing everyone's having a a generally good time you know what i mean (laughs) like like that's how that's how going to work in general is (laughs) like you don't just you don't just like uh you know it's not just like as as hard as it might have been for Shelley duvall you know if it was i think there's probably a level of excruciating that we're imagining that it probably was a little bit lighter than that just because that you know people will want to work with kubrick again and people and like his crew wants to work with him again and that's and that's not just because he's famous i think it's also probably because he's uh probably you know he was really like cool to work with i am i'm sure but i i want it to be the other stuff though you know what i mean like i kind of want it to be real (laughs) like i want right some of these conspiracies to pay off and i you know and the moon landing stuff is so compelling do you have any more moon landing conspiracies that are tucked away in this film
1: so two of the other uh, the other and I don't know if this ties into that but this is like a very notable thing that um I think I even noticed this like before seeing that documentary but in the beginning when Danny's like in the bathroom in his in his at the apartment uh, we see the the camera like zooms in and we see this door with all these stickers on it in his bedroom <laughs> and you mm-hmm. see Dopey from the, the dwarves or whatever um, and then later Dopey has like disappeared um, so I forget what the like reasoning behind that is uh, but he's like. Meaning that he's become like enlightened or something is uh, to, to something. I don't know. Yeah. But there's also a moment where like Wendy, when, when Wendy goes into the, his bedroom with the doctor at the beginning, she is dressed exactly. And this, you can't even really, the, the statue, the, the toy is like not that easy to see, but once you see it, it's very obvious. She's dressed exactly like this co- toy of goofy on his, oh. on his shelf. um and she's wearing the exact same thing and she like looks like goofy in it (laughs) it's it's really really weird um so some of these things are where i'm like this was done on purpose and i don't exactly know and you're right i think some of these things like are uh maybe not as well thought out as people would like them to be um I don't know. We talked to this. It's interesting to talk about. I would actually love to go through all of Kubrick's movies with you at some point. Oh, hell um, yeah.
0: And especially like looking at it with this kind of lens too, because yes. I think it really, it's like a, it's like, I mean, I don't know, man, it's like a really good books or something. that's kind of a reductive thing to compare it to, but it's like when you keep watching these films, you keep pull, pulling out like more and more information, like more and more stuff you notice every single time. There's, there's yeah. never a Kubrick film that like you, you, you know, the wells dry after the first viewing, right? Like I compare them to like, I don't know, like M night Shyamalan or something where, you know, it's the appearance of depth when, you know, once you know the twist, the depth unravels and it suddenly becomes a very straight film. These are films where from the get go, they are like incredibly deep and airy and have a lot of holes. And there's a lot of continuity errors, but a lot of those are on purpose And it creates such an incredible viewing exercise, I think, for a lot of people. Um, And I think that's why, I mean, to this day, I I still would say he's my favorite director of all time. Like it's him, Cassavetes, Truffaut. Those are my my three guys I love. Uh, But Kubrick, you know, kind of sits on top. And I think it's mainly because of this. Um, Some negative things I'll say about Kubrick's filmmaking is because there's this level of craftsmanship, uh, everything is very distant like do you ever get that feeling when you're watching a kubrick film like that the performances the emotion it's all very distant and robotic
1: yeah um i you know i was listening to a podcast uh about this movie um specifically about like the book and Mm. they compare it to the movie because i wanted to be able to, like, know a little bit about that with, without having to actually read a book. Right. And uh, <laughs> and, and they, yeah, the two uh, hosts of that show, like, actually, like, hated the movie, like, mm. after reading the book. Yeah. And that was, like, part of uh, their critique was, like, yeah, they're, like, you couldn't see, you can't really picture, like, what Jack and uh, Shelley duvall's character why did i blank out her name but uh <laughs> you can't picture their marriage outside of the situation really like what do they normally like like even when he's being uh supposed to be being like nice and uh like no, normal sure. husband yes. to her like yeah. when they when she when he tells her she got the job when he's talking on the phone uh, in the hotel he's just like She's like excited for him and he's just like yeah so uh I'm going to be I'm going to be late or whatever like he's he's just like there's no like shred of real like romance in that relationship at all.
0: Yeah, there's zero chemistry. And I would argue that in all of Kubrick's films, if if people did have chemistry, it was all off camera because my theory is he makes people retake and retake and retake those Scenes over and over and over again to the point of exhaustion. And what he, I, I yeah. feel like the performances he likes end up being incredibly robotic. He does know how to yeah. show and convey certain kinds of emotion. Like I think Jack, like fear is a good one, like Shelley Duvall, or like anger. Like Jack is, Jack Torrance is one of the most compelling on screen figures at some point in the movie, right? but for a long portions of the film, long swaths, he is just a person you can't really identify with and you don't know doing weird stuff. And I think like that goes for like definitely Barry Lyndon, definitely full metal jacket. Um, where, you know, like, like the general or the, or the drill sergeant in full metal jacket, like he's, he is a one note human being. Like he exists to perform this one task. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you know, uh, private pile, you know, we see him change into a psycho. Like, it's like nobody, nobody's like a real person or has a real moment. necessarily. I mean, I could see, I mean, yeah. And like, and then like, even in films like eyes wide shut, you have, I would say one single moment of sincerity, like sincere, real human emotion. And that's like Nicole Kidman's monologue in her underwear, like to her husband, um, that kind of sets right. the whole film in motion. But after that, it is slim pickings for re people being real. And I, and, but like it creates this feeling of like isolation and loneliness and like conspiracy and dread and, uh, what's suspicion where everyone's sort of suspicious in a Kubrick film. Yeah. But what do you think? I mean, like, yeah, he's, he's definitely not making a soap opera. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, um, yeah. When you said robotic, I was thinking about Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, uh, he's very robotic, and he's yeah. very, um, uh, he repeats things that people say a lot in that movie, which is weird. <laughs> like he'll be like, "You want to know the password?" Like he, <laughs> yeah. just, he just repeats, <laughs> he repeats everything every everyone says to him, but as a question. Yeah, uh, but. But yeah, um, yeah, I think I think you're right. Like, it, I, I also like as someone who has made like a couple of things, and not even like, not even close to like the scale of a feature film or something. But like, when you have even like ten takes of one shot to choose from, it's like exhausting. To pick, at, to pick one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you're editing. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I really wonder that about, about Kubrick. Uh, I don't know much about his like editing process or how that worked. But I wonder like how ma- how many of these takes were like at the tail end. Or if he was even like, if he was always taking these these takes At the end of this kind of like marathon, he's putting his actors through. I wonder if he was even rolling during the beginning. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's kind of interesting to think about. I I wouldn't. um, I don't think I would make a movie like that, but I definitely respect it. And I think there's something something that I read in the trivia is that like Nicholson and Duvall were like kind of bummed about the reception of the movie because everyone was kind of praising uh, Kubrick, but them and uh, everyone in the movie, like they, that is like, I would point to this movie if, if someone was like, give me an example of a movie where like that just shows me what acting is and like what it's supposed to be like this movie, both Nicholson and Shelley Duvall are like peak, uh, the art of acting in film, yes. as far as I, I'm concerned.
0: And it's so cool because, and this is, I mean, I hate to give it to Kubrick, but it is, to his credit, he's elicited two of the most wildly different performances also. So it is it is an example yeah. of two people at the peak of, the pinnacle of acting, right, up against each other, doing acting in, in, in front of each other in a room for cameras. But it's also... As much as you couldn't be more wildly different in the performances you're getting, I mean Jack Torrance is like ma- maniacal Joker esque, like brutal beast, and Shelley Duvall is just like how you convey absolute dread on film. It's like it is, it is truly like yeah, it's very inspirational, and that is weird. I I I feel like most of Kubrick's films got the notoriety they got because they were Kubrick films. I think he just had that resume to back him up. And I think he just had that sort of hold on, on cinema where like people just, they knew they knew whatever they were getting into. It was, it was because of him. You know what I mean? And honestly, I agree with you, but I, uh, Eric, but I also think it's, it's on the screen. Like it is unmistakable, unmistakably a Kubrick film. Like Kubrick, when he puts out a film and you, you can look at it from across, you can look at it at a crowded bar, a Kubrick film you've never seen and guess that it's a Kubrick film. It's just like, it, it just has his stink all over it. It's almost, it's like a Wes Anderson film, actually. I would compare him to Wes Anderson in a way that like, I, it's hard for me to like look back at any Wes Anderson film and go like, Oh, I you know, I love Owen Wilson's performance in this. It's like no, it's really yeah. about the style. It's really more about like like the experience of going to see a Wes Anderson film. Um, you know, with the exception of like Gene Hackman in The Royal Tenenbaums, who I do think is exceptional and and looks like he's in a different movie. <laughs> um like yeah, most everyone is just sort of like they're all they all play second fiddle to the director's like brilliance and imagination. But I do think that do that does suck that <laughs> not enough people gave yeah. them the props. <laughs>
1: yeah. I agree. Um so I think we're about I think we're about ready to wrap up part 1. Yeah, uh, but I want to know uh what is your overall like uh, what w- what would you answer how would you answer the question what is the movie the shining about?
0: Um, I would say the movie, the shining is about, you know, it's a, it is about a family that it is a, <laughs> Oh man, it is about a guy who goes crazy because of isolation and turns psychotic against his family in the mountains in the, in a hotel in the mountains beyond that it's about domestic abuse and domestic violence i would say it's about that and mm-hmm. you know that's really it it's about a haunted hotel i mean i don't know what would you say
1: <laughs> i would say the shining and this is my this is my the- big theory uh, and it's other people have this it's not an uncommon theory but the shining is about america and violence in america the cycle of violence uh how it just uh, keeps on, we, we just keep on reliving the same like violent, uh, nature and history, uh, evidenced by the, the fact. So the, 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 theory that some people have that I agree with is the hotel represents America. We get, you know, the owner of the hotel. Um, that's something we didn't even talk about is that scene where we meet him in his office, uh, we also didn't talk about how the layout of the hotel makes no sense and is impossible. Right. Um, <laughs> we also, we also haven't talked about to,
0: what the hell the shining is.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll get into that when we talk about the actual plot, sure. but, um, uh, very like intentionally presidential looking owner. Um, there's, uh, all the nods to native American genocide. um, but just the overall story of this guy uh, coming to this coming to this new place, uh, and eventually like murdering his family, and we find out that he's been there all along. Um, it kind of like all sort of lines up in my brain where I'm like, yeah, this is like about America. I think this is about America and when you watch it through that lens um well explain to me to me makes sense and this sort of button on the theory is at the end of it when uh we have that classic shot where we zoom in on the old-timey photo uh where we see that nicholson uh is was there in 1921 um the date on that photo is from a banquet on the 4th of july Wow. It's the date. It's like July 4th, 1921, but
0: do. Okay. But I I would like a good explanation or a, like a very, like a well thought out explanation for that ending for the button. Like how does Jack Nicholson having been there the whole time add anything to the film? Because I would say that. So that's another one of my complaints about the film is that I, I've never liked that ending and it felt to me like, Oh, this might've blown people's minds back in the early eighties, but Now, since that ending has kind of been done a million times, like you've been there the whole time or the twist was you were always dead or whatever. Like, I'm not quite sure how does that in your mind, how does that fit into the rest of the narrative?
1: Well, it fits into the narrative of like, this is all just a cycle that is we just witnessed it happen again. We Mm -hmm. we heard that it happened before. We just witnessed it happen again. And we are to assume that it's just going to keep happening. I think, is is kind of the um, idea that that I have. Um, I will say, I watched this movie. There was like, I watched this movie with three people who had never seen this movie before who are like dear friends of mine, like four, like five or six years ago, and neither of them liked the ending at all they yeah. actually like made the movie like not good to them like they were almost, like they, I, I know one of them in particular was like i just like didn't like that movie because that ending like made it not i don't I, I don't know like it just in the like plot of like i don't know how it makes sense in the stephen king story of it you know what i mean like that's right. where that's almost why I want to buy into like some of these conspiracy theories is cuz there has to be some like greater meaning to that ending cuz it seems a little like I can't really explain it like it's like, in like a plot sense, you know?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. It to me it felt like I don't know, one of these one of these endings where it was like they didn't know how to end it, but it's so deliberate. And I feel like must've been really cool at the time, but you know how like some endings just don't, I don't know, because they, because once they're done, once they get done to death in other films, you know, we yeah. see them in other like stories that like kind of retroactively hurts the payoff of the original thing. Maybe the, I was always th- thought that was sort of the case where it, like it was, Ooh, how spooky he was a ghost actually the whole time. But then it was like, well, no, it actually doesn't make a ton of sense. And, and it also doesn't like that ending doesn't hold up as well as, I don't know. Cause I want him to be a real person. I want him to not be a ghost. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. like to me, that is, a, that is always going to be more satisfying. But I, I think, I I don't know though. I I couldn't I can't explain it to you either. There is something there though. I think the fir- you're the only person who's ever explained it in a way that I actually liked where it's about cycles and about things rec- recurring over and over again. And that makes me, and that actually does make me like that ending more thinking about it in those terms.
1: Um So there was one thing that I wanted to bring up real quick before we wrap up is, do you know about the deleted scene that Stanley Kubrick cut after the theatrical release? No, what is it? (laughs) So the film was out for, I don't know how long, I think it was just out for like a weekend or something. And Kubrick decided he like, he he like had all of these uh, sent out like a message to all of the theaters that were screening it to like cut this, this uh these frames out of out of your film which is i love that that that's how it worked back yeah. then uh but it's it's right after uh jack freezes to death and right before the the end scene where we zoom in on the uh the the picture mm-hmm. but apparently it's uh hold on let me get this right uh, cuz i haven't seen it cuz you can't really find it anywhere this is creeping
0: um, me out. I will also say that the lights like I was in a sunlit room when we started this and now the room is completely dark because the sun has gone down and I'm creeped out.
1: <laughs> um, I can't remember. It's like uh, Wendy is in the hospital.
0: Oh, so it's like Stuart Allman, the Overlooks manager, arrives to check in on um, Wendy and Danny. He shows remorse towards the trauma they suffered and offers them a place at his Los Angeles home. He maintains that despite a detailed search, nothing unusual was found at the hotel. The scene ends with Stuart throwing a yellow tennis ball to Danny, alluding to an earlier scene in the film. The scene was meant to show Wendy and Danny survive the ordeal, but also adds mystery to the manager and his motives. The uh, the movie uh, still ends with Jack Torrance and an old uh, photo of the Overlook Hotel
1: yeah I think he like um Stanley thought that it was like redundant or something like it wasn't even like that uh I mean I guess it is like a very important it's the second to last scene of the film right um, but but his, but the rationale that was he he just thought it was too like spelling it out um kind of like what 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 we see following that scene like um, it
0: was like it was maybe the manager had something to do with it.
1: Yeah, something like that. I don't remember. I remember like reading about this, and then um, now I'm bringing up <laughs> bringing it up with like uh, not remembering. No, uh, most I mean that's a, it. A, but a, it is that, an I, interesting. I didn't know uh, that. So um, yeah. it's
0: that is very interesting. Yeah, I th- of all of my research into this film, I did not. I never knew that. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that um, is weird. I I don't know how I feel. I, it does sound a little cheesy, like him. Throwing a tennis ball to Danny, yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if it adds anything either. I think he, I think he's right. I think Kubrick was right. I don't know if it adds anything. I would I would have well, loved to see like a little cool down though between Danny and and uh, Shelley Duvall.
1: You know what's also sad is seeing Scatman Crothers' uh, character I like. Know we see him in his bed and his entire journey all the way through this crazy blizzard to this hotel. And as soon as he walks through the door, he just gets killed with an ax.
0: It's so, it's such it's a good right choice. away. I know it's yeah. terrible, but it is such a good choice. Um, yeah, it is. It, it reminds me of something Hitchcock would have done with like, you know, uh, Janet Lee or whatever, where it's like, <laughs> It's like you just you unexpectedly kill somebody that the audience would have had no idea because you think he's going to be the hero. You think he's going to come in and save
1: him. Right. And then no, yeah.
0: not even close. <laughs>
1: um, so, Jeremy, I think that wraps up part one of mm-hmm. our uh, very first two-part episode. Uh, who knows? It may even be a three-parter, Jeremy. Yeah, we, might we can't predict the future. Brady Bunch Hawaii Trilogy type <laughs> We thing. don't have uh, the shine to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, stay tuned next week. We will be uh, going through the plot and everything. Uh, And before we go, I am going to sign us off with a quote from the movie The Shining. Perfect. As soon as I find one that's good. Uh, Let's see here. And, uh, okay, I think I found the perfect one. Perfect. Things could be better, Lloyd. Things could be a whole lot better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bye.